All right, guys, this is us getting started. Guys, welcome to my second interview. So for those who don't know the story, what has happened is um, this year, this week, many people from around the international parkour community are meant to be landing in Scotland uh, to attend the Art of Retreat, which is this event that we run in America and now in Europe every year. Unfortunately, uh, what's happened is there's a global pandemic going on. Uh, hopefully oh. you've noticed. Tell me more um, about that. I'm, I'm completely unaware. <laughs> stay at home. Um, and so instead of being sad, I decided what I would do is I would just start talking with my friends uh, and I would live stream it because the real reason that I organize Art Retreat is to bring all of my friends to Scotland. It's a very, very simple, really, proposal. Um, and so what's really interesting is I always have a different thing I want to talk with different people about it. And uh, Nat and I like disagreeing. And so she's an excellent guest for the show. Um, so to give you a bit of background for her, Natalia describes herself as a mover with parkour and climbing topping the list. She's a personal trainer, a medical interpreter, a photographer. She's taught movement all over the globe. On top of that, Nat is a prolific volunteer. She's volunteered in disaster zones, has completed her entrance exam to become a firefighter, and is very interested in how exactly a person can be useful. So with all that in mind, Nat, do you want to give us an overview of your journey to where you are now? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I think we're live again. Sorry, guys. We don't know when we stopped. We don't know when we stopped. We don't know why we stopped. Um, but about this, so that was the first question you asked me was about uh, journey and traveling and how I ended up where I am. So I'm going to uh -huh. recap it real quick, right? So speaking of uh, geographical travel that began uh, for me when I was a high school student in Russia, and that was my very first trip abroad to the United States for a year to Texas. And then I returned back to Russia, um, went to college there, to university, got my master's degree in communications and languages, and then went back to the US. And I haven't left the US for like for a long time ever since, so I'm here since that coming back. Um, and it wasn't until um, uh, I started doing parkour that I started traveling more extensively internationally, um, primarily in Europe. Um, I think that's where we ended. Yeah, so you, you were traveling, uh, you, you had done a oh, semester yeah. in Galo. Galo, that's right. We were talking about photography business that I had in the early 2000s. And that's how you remember me because that was your second international gathering. That was my mm -hmm. uh, semester at Gallo, uh, which I think ended end of May or something like that. And I overstayed there. We had a Viking week, which is a pilot project they rolled out that year in 2014, where all the students, well, not all the students, but the ones they thought to handle the project were able to stay past the semester in order to help out tasks around the campus, you know, like fixing things, building things. Um, actually, that whole perimeter of the rail structure um, on, in the parkour park. The black low down rail. That was us, you know, cutting those railings and putting them in and digging the holes to put them in. And then so you were free labor for Martin Nickel. Okay. Well, it's not really free because they are offering us the room and board. So That's and we don't pay for, for that. So that was nice. But yeah, anywho, um, where are we at? 
so I'm kind of what I'm trying to do is tell a bit of a story about how you ended up doing all these big international events and why you ended up doing these big international events because I kind of want to how I want what I want to kind of explore with you and maybe we'll just get into that now is the fact that you have done some really big stuff uh, on a really big scale things that are international like Jalau or some of the women's stuff at Fon um, and you know the the US national gathering and these big big events but then you turned around and started volunteering in a local disaster zone and you started doing things that were seemingly about very very small spaces and very distinct things where you made a very small difference and I want to talk about both those things yeah. um, so I kind of want to get an overview of why all these big projects where they sit in your life and how you think about them well first of all the timeline right it doesn't have to be like oh at first there were those big international events and then I started doing the local volunteering projects as a matter of fact I have volunteered long before I started uh doing parkour so it's all kind of mix and match um cool whereas um maybe it is a little bit um Kind of it's looking chaotic because this is how I function the best. This is just how I see myself as most expressive throughout my life and most um, useful as well for myself and for others is doing multiple things at the same time instead of picking just one track and staying on that track, which is, I'm not saying that anything is wrong with that. I'm just saying it's different, right? Okay. So when we're talking about timelines, it's not like, oh, Natalia is all into like parkour and now parkour the only thing she does. Not like that for me. Same thing cool. goes for uh, big gatherings or small gatherings or volunteering. So my very first volunteering project, actually, let's talk about that. Uh, that was Habitat for Humanity in my exchange year in Texas. And I had such a great experience with it, partially because it offered me that kind of spiritual foundation, and I'm not talking religious, um, but more like, um, you know, kind of like the supportive environment where people don't really care about the way that you're presenting yourself, as long as you're putting in the work that benefits this whole idea of like, let's put a house together, you know? So this idea of inter interconnectedness and oneness but also individual input, which we will circle back to, I think, eventually during this interview, because it's a huge thing for me. That so you're talking about tribes and like being with people and that feeling of togetherness that you get with a group when you put a lot of effort in with them? Yes and no. So yes, a tribe uh, where you have like-minded people and they kind of share your values, but also no, because I do believe in interconnectedness of everyone and everything you know okay. what i mean so it's much more global which i think i'm really grateful actually for what is happening right now besides all the bad things that covid has brought up it also brought up that we are all like we're all in it together like however cheesy that sounds it just underlines that same interconnectedness i could be sitting here and i can be thinking of a person in japan and be like dude i know you know what I mean? Yes. I think it becomes <laughs> well, I think it becomes really obvious in these moments because everyone's going through the same thing and that brings people together. On the other hand, um, I'm I'm always unconvinced by arguments that kind of say that that because you're feeling it is really good and lots of other people are feeling it is really good. But 
I kind of want to come back to this idea and I do it all the time of um, impact. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we're all going through this thing together and we're all in this together. And that's a great conceptual feeling to go through. But if unless it's linked in with some kind of tangible change of people, I kind of go, well, it's a lovely thought, but what's the tangible change? Like there's all, for me, there's an and but question. Can and I so, ask you what you mean by tangible thing in people of people? So like if you read, um, if we come back to the pandemic idea, like it's like, oh, well, pandemic's going to change everything. We're never going to be the same again. And this other one, which is we're going to learn nothing from this pandemic. Everything's going to be the same ever again. They're both perfectly legitimate narratives. Um, and I, I, I struggle to be able to conceptualize that scale. Whereas mm -hmm. if um, we talk about something that I feel like well, we can really make a difference, um, when we, can it, this is the main thrust of my argument, which is let's run an international event. Let's run arbitrary. Let's bring a hundred people together from all over the world, sit them down in this island off the coast of Scotland. Okay. Um, what effect is that going to have? Well, see, now we can have a really interesting discussion because the effects it had was it created a new adaptive movement blog where a bunch of uh, guys from different countries met each other and began collaborating and writing about um, nonlinear pedagogy, skill acquisition and parkour. It created Coach Europe, which is this new event which allowed us to really begin thinking about how we're going to improve as coaches. It formed bonds between people who then went on to do things. Um, because of Art of Retreat, Gordon and I got to go to Berlin. We got to travel, we got to meet new people, we got to teach new people. We can say, hey, this thing had these impacts and the change that happened as a result of that enriched all of our lives. And I think that's really important to kind of like ask yourself why you do things and then decide, okay, I do these things to have effects. And we talk about these really ephemeral ideas like we're all in this together for the pandemic. I struggle to be able to say, well, okay, what does that mean? I think what it comes down to, um, what does it mean? We're struggling this together. Um, well, it's the same, uh, not the same, but it's, I think it's a very similar approach to what you were just talking about uh, in terms of parkour and big uh, international events and uh, other events being born out of it and having effect and impact from these events onto communities. So we're now just taking this approach to a much more global, much more, uh, much bigger approach, much bigger picture, right? So yes, we are in this together and what it means for every group of people, for every subset of group of people and for every individual person, I think it depends on their, oh, that's another concept. So I'm just going to be jumping between thoughts. I think it depends on where they add their own personal work too. Right, because it's it's not. I, to me, it's not black and white. It's not like oh, it's only just uh, my inner workings uh, versus the impact that I have on the world. So people I care about, or uh, the rest of the world, or the environment, or whatever it is. I think it's all together, right? But they're not mutually exclusive. And I think your own personal work and your impact on the uh, human or other environment. That it all can happen in parallel, right? But yeah, I think okay. it's really important and you hit it right there when you just said that I first ask myself why I'm doing this, why do I want this change, right? And then you're going from there. That is the most important question that I think everybody needs to ask themselves and they need to keep asking that 
in my view, they need to keep it, uh, asking that yeah. question. Why until they get into that deepest layer? Like, why do I want to do this, right? Like, is it just to satisfy my whatever unfulfilled child trauma or something, you know, or is it to um, cope with something I haven't dealt with? Or is it to um, escape from something? And once I think we uncover what it is we're trying to do and why, then we can address that, like, and that personal work, the, addressing that issue can also help us interact with other people and make that impact that we're talking about without being um, too coachy about it and too like, oh, I, I have all the answers, let me tell you. Yeah, um, there's two things I wanna pick up from there and you can kind of choose which one you wanna go with here. One is, um, so the, the major argument that we have for these international events um, is we kind of compare them to the hero's journey and I don't know how much you've read about the concept of the hero's journey it's uh, very popular in some subsets of the parkour community where you are this person and you have a call and you're called and you're taken to this mysterious world where you overcome something very difficult and problematic and as a result you have learned or you've grown and then you take that thing back home so these international experiences are kind of thought of as these hero's journeys where you go away and you become enriched and you become better. And then there is an onus on you to take something from that experience home with you and then to like give it out to the people that weren't able to join you on this wonderful experience. Um, on the other hand, there's this argument that, it's, it's, you know, it's like it's, it's joyful for me to go away and think and be about myself. And it's not about anyone else. And so there's that other way of thinking, which is actually I'm just someone who is looking to engage and enjoy wonderful experiences. And I have no interest in this moral onus to improve the things around me. And so there's this sort of, um, how do you think about these moments in your life when you go and do something remarkable? There was a question. So, I'll start answering that, I think, by um, first addressing that uh, the hero's journey that uh, I think it's fairly recently, at least to me, at least I came to um, uh, hearing about it in the past couple of years. The hero's journey applied to large uh, international events in parkour. Um, I think uh, it is valid, but it is as valid as any other intent or expectation that you put into whatever event, really. It doesn't have to be parkour gathering or anything else, but whatever intent you put into it, that's the expectation you uh, come to this event is, right? So if you are looking at that event as a hero's journey, what you want to come out of it is likely to be the hero's journey results. If you're looking at it as a way to connect with people, you're going to come out of it with a sense of connection with people. If you're looking at it from the perspective of, oh, I want to boost my confidence as a mover and as a coach, you're likely to come out with that result as well. So I think it's more about the intent that people have about these um, events than it is about trying to put a certain, um, I don't want to say label, but that's the word that my brain kind of gives out right now, a certain description that fits most people, right? I don't think 
it is like that. Speaking about me personally, um, so lately, it's been a process as well. It's been a journey in and of itself, especially uh, talking about volunteering at events and volunteering in general. Um, it started as a pure self-interest, I think, the uh, conscious volunteering work that I started doing after Habitat for Humanity, which was my first thing. Um, and I did not choose it. It was one of the things we had to do as exchange students. And I loved it. But when I came back, um, the first few conscious volunteering projects that I chose, they kind of responded to my, um, whatever I needed. For example, I was really into theater in Russia. So I volunteered for theater festivals. And then um, there was a couple of other projects there. I don't remember them well. Then I came to the US, started volunteering for Independent Film Festival of Boston, which is really cool. I'm with them for since when I came first and now, so 10 years, over 10 years. Um, but from that self-interest, I think, uh, rose a larger need to be a little bit more useful. And that need to be more useful uh, uh, begs a question of, well, how can I, one little person here, can be useful to a larger um, group, right? How can I impact? And I don't think it was until I started doing parkour more consciously, especially when I started coaching parkour, that you know, it builds your confidence, it um, makes you more aware of your physical and mental potential. Like we all know that parkour does that. Uh, coaching and coaching parkour specifically, because I also coach through climbing, puts you in a position where you can categorize things a little bit better and also not only assess your own physical and mentally and mental uh, potential and abilities, but also other people's physical and uh, possibly mental potential, right? And figuring out how to uh, collectively make that uh, grow. So once that part has happened for me, I think, I'm not confident because it's, it all kind of happened organically throughout. So I'm just like thinking retroactively on it. Um, retrospectively and I think because I became more aware of my own physical and mental prowess and ability to affect other people through coaching I'm like okay I can stick my head out and I can not be afraid that my actions are going to be null right I can stick my head out and even if I affect one person one life in this lifetime positively then it, it, it's, it's already great you know, I may not even do anything else in my life, but if because of my actions, somebody else got inspired or got through some sort of a hurdle in their life or whatever, their outlook changed, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. I remember it being very much like the thing that I most admired about your coaching was your interest in individuals and interest in impacting individuals. Remember, we kind of kept coming back to it as being your strength and the thing. For those who don't know, Natalia came and talked with us for three months. And so we had long chats about her coaching style. And that's kind of one of those things that kind of remains in my memory about it, which is there was that interest in the individual, like above and beyond what most coaches do. I and think that was, 
it's also interesting to me because I think it happened kind of natural without me even putting any conscious thought into it first that I I had the most success with smaller groups of people and once I started doing private coaching that's when I was like this is what I love the most is where I excel at because I build a relationship with the person right and I don't feel like I can build the same uh, quality of the relationship with a group of 20 people and more right it's just impossible especially with the time limit I can build a relationship it's going to be fine it's going to be workable but there's no way you can do the same type as like one on one you know what I mean what are you laughing in I'm just laughing because I, I fully agree with you and yet yeah. uh, Adam exists and he can do that with 25 kids at the same time and I have no idea how and in fact I think it seems more meaningful in those situations it's just different strokes but I, I kind of I agree it's definitely where your strengths lie um, but kind of where I want to if I can go back a second because there's something that we kind of skipped over a little bit yeah um, which is you were one of the first traveling female parkour coaches i think in the world so when you talk about that idea so. of, like surely think, traveled quite a bit and i think auntie traveled before me and there was way before yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure okay. i think That's in about, the events that might be true uh, yeah uh, definitely um because well, it's kind of interesting because you talked about the idea of sticking your head out and kind of going i can do this and i can make changes and you said putting yourself on that higher level and i suppose it, it was it uh was it uh an experience of hey i'm going to push myself into this world and try and make a name for myself and do a thing in this space or was it more like uh this is just the, like this is my step i'm on this is the next step i'm just going to keep going oh i'm okay so definitely the first one not the second one and i think that um brings us back to the question about everybody's journey in this life and everybody's journey being um, uh, their own and different and unique. And um, all right, gonna go on a tangent for a second, but I'll come back. I have a plan. Okay. Um, <laughs> it has to do with uh, my uh, being uh, interested in many things uh, simultaneously or a few things simultaneously rather than choosing one track and doing this one track for a while. I think okay. uh, at large, and I'm generalizing here again, recognizing that there are students plural, but at large, our modern society, or I think it's changing now, but um, we are more conditioned to appreciate slash kind of um, uh, work toward a path where you choose one, maybe two things, and just do that. Really focus on that, go really deep, explore that, and that's um, considered good or normal. So any deviation from that is considered less normal, depending on how far you deviate from that, or abnormal, or not, not good, bad. Don't love those stickers, the good and bad unless you are like murdering people and lying to everyone. <laughs> I do have That's a tendency bad. to murder people. I should probably stop. <laughs> but, but everything else, like outside of the uh, universally bad things, everything else, I just don't think we can categorize as good and bad. It's more like what we accept as a society and what we chose not to accept, not even chose, what we're told not to accept, um, then it becomes bad or not normal. 
and it took me a long time to, and I, I still to this day for some things I have to like talk to myself and be like no this is just not what everybody else or majority of people do doesn't mean that it's wrong right so um yes we were talking about different journeys and how everybody's on different journey and you can take multiple things and work on them simultaneously or you can do one path so with me sticking sticking the head out uh, is taking um one of those opportunities one of those roads that i see open in front of me that i can take and do something with it right i can simultaneously uh make it a growth path for myself and i can also impact and affect others at the same time so this is i think what guides my choices and which opportunity to take also on that same note um i find the word opportunity um interesting and sometimes it's very tricky because it can it can be interpreted in very many different ways depending on the situation depending on the person depending on what you want to convey emotionally um i think often opportunities are uh interpreted as you know kind of like kind of like magic oh an opportunity presented itself you know just poof, appeared in thin air and now you have it um, it's kind of like luck you know like oh you're so lucky to do blah 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 or to have this opportunity <laughs> um i think that opportunities as luck don't exist opportunities i think are the result of all the previous actions and thoughts that you have consciously or subconsciously put into whatever it is we're talking about whatever issue and that led you up to this point so you see that opportunity right because there are multiple other opportunities that you may not even see because you haven't mm -hmm. thought about that i think i would agree with you but i think i would also probably leave space for some level of luck in there just oh, because of the utter randomness of the world. Can you give me an example? So um, when you talk about opportunities like, uh, or chance encounters, like um, uh, the, the path you take is sometimes totally random, like, um, and sometimes little things can go on to have big effects. And so while you're absolutely right, there's loads of opportunities out there and there's loads of things that could go on, like um, the, the reason that I do parkour is a, is the fact that my fifth year computational um, uh, studies teacher put a video on in one class because he couldn't be bothered teaching us one day. And that went on to have a snowball effect that completely changed my life. And that was chance. And maybe something else would have done it later on. Who knows? It's very difficult to tell. But the point is that while definitely the main thrust of the argument should be you make the opportunities that you make and you find things and you work hard. There's, I, I like to leave a dollop of the world is utterly random and weird and wonderful sometimes in there as well. Yes, I think we're actually probably talking about the same thing, although, so I'm not saying, by saying that, um, I don't really want to say that uh, everything is uh, predictable and computable, but more so that, um, you know how there is a uh, uh, belief, I suppose, a theory that subconscious takes up a lot more in our brain than the conscious? I don't think it's a theory. I think it's true. 
um, so if we don't know what our subconscious is thinking about, which we shouldn't, because once we do become aware of it, that's conscious. Like that's 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 where I place luck at. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's where our luck is because luck is still your subconscious working and your subconscious leading you up to the things and into the circumstances that are there. You know, and circumstances create. Well, what are circumstances? Those are thoughts and actions of other people. The results yeah, of that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. No, I'm with you. I think I think we're we're seeing the same thing from different sides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's let's take that back and talk some more um, specifics then. Um, you kind of talk about being led and choosing the opportunities based on what you feel you can make lets you have the biggest impact. Yeah. Um, so what sort of things are you thinking about? What can you give some examples of times when you've had choices to make or when you've decided to go down one route or another route or, or how you think just about like what you do with your life because you as a person have so many different opportunities you could be you could be doing so many different things how do you choose hmm. um i think kind of going with a flow maybe has to do with it um I, again, it's not, <laughs> when you're asking that question, uh, how do you choose these opportunities? Um, that makes me think of me present versus me in the past, right? And me in the past have gone through different stages of, oh, this is a great opportunity to get out of my situation. And by me, my situation, I mean, I was brought up in a pretty poor family right, in a tiny, think tiny constricted lifestyle. Like if you think about post-Soviet Russia, that, that's a tiny constricted lifestyle as well, outside of the physical tiny apartment. So I think at first my uh, desires were just like, get out, grab onto any singular opportunity that will get me out of this. Okay. Um, and then I think later uh, when I, uh, I think after I, gone to university in Moscow and I was by myself in Moscow I got myself a couple jobs and I was feeling really empowered you know like oh you know what I can make my life whatever I want um, once I reached that stage I think I started thinking about okay what do we do with uh, this space now right like what are my interests outside of survival, outside of just getting out of constrictive. Um, what do I want as a person? So I started exploring more of what Natalia is and what she wants. And then once, uh, fast forward a few years, um, once we have figured out what Natalia likes, we're starting to see what Natalia wants to have impact on. So it's kind of a few different stages Right? And I'm liking that, this third person stuff, it's good. And then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a I, you know, but it's... Uh, no, it's really interesting. Yeah, there are, there are, uh, are you familiar with family systems? Family systems. Yeah, so uh, family systems, I think I learned about them because of Jonathan, who's done uh, some personal work, plus I think he is a psychology major, minor, I don't remember. Anywho, um, 
impersonal work. He's watching. You can probably tell us on the feed. Say it again. All right. He's watching. You can probably tell us on the feed. Oh, if he wants to. I don't know if he's watching still. Okay. That's what I can't pay attention to. Here's the only thing that I can't multitask with. When I'm having conversation with someone, everything else, all the other functions shut down, literally. <laughs> like I can, that's why I can't be trusted to uh, take note of directions when I'm talking to someone because I will not remember how I got myself or I got myself to. Same thing with hands, like where's my phone? Because I was talking to you, for example, I have no recollection of what my hands did with my phone. It's done to your right on your desk. Yeah, well, oh, thanks. Anyway. Okay, let's, let's move on a little bit then. Um, because it's, it's really interesting how you talk about these things and they think about these things because they do feel they feel almost internalized so it's kind of trying to draw it out seems quite interesting so let's take a slightly different approach uh, let's assume that a young person who's just turned 18 comes to you and says hey i want to make an impact i want to do something with my life you are all these amazing places doing all these amazing things where should i start what do you say to them i say to him why <laughs> <laughs> No, it's coming back to the same thing I think we started with, right? I think you mentioned it first. I asked myself why I want to do a certain thing and then how. And I think that's the first thing I would ask, uh, especially a young person, like, why do, you want, why do you want to do this? And then go from there, because depending on what the answer to that, um, <laughs> you know, this uh, was it Gandhi? You can't change your world without changing yourself. Or like change, if you want to change the world, change yourself. Start with, you, start with yourself, something like that. I don't remember the exact quote. I think it was Gandhi, but maybe I'm mistaken too. But anywho, the phrasing it's was- very zen. Yeah, the phrasing was, if you wanna see the change in the world, change yourself or start with yourself first. So that same thing, I would kind of try to uh, impart on that young person, like, why do you wanna change the world? Why do you wanna make an impact? What do you not like in the world and why? Right? What kind of impact one you, you, you want to create and why? And why do you think it's necessary? Like if we presume that everybody is on their own journey, right? And they need to make their own journey. Why do we need to change them in their journey? So when thinking about this, you've, you've given two slightly different pathways to sort of making an impact. One is the very classic get to four, which is this idea of, you become strong yourself and then you grow and have an impact and the other one is this sort of mix of um it can never be just about yourself or just about other people instead it has to be this sort of other people are what helps you grow mm -hmm. um how do you how do you think about your relationship with your own strengths and other people how do i think about the relationship of my own strengths yeah, so for instance, do you kind of think, okay, I'll become really good at all these things and then I'll go out and make a difference? Is it quite mm -hmm. us? Like to say that self-centered is to be accurate, but the word doesn't really reflect well. Like, or do you sort of think about, hey, I'm going to reach out and find out what people want and then maybe I will become the thing that is best within this group and then I'll that more So um, present Natalia. Um, has realized um, that not everyone might want the impact, not everyone might be ready for the change. Um, and again, gonna repeat that over and over again, everybody's on their own journey. So if I feel like we have a connection and if I feel like there is some, um, some impact, maybe it's a mutual impact too, 
that can happen there, then we can dive into that and we can have an impact. There is also um, a way, I think, to create, and we're talking about, I think, personal, more like personal impact slash personal growth impact. If we're talking about affecting others and using your own strength uh, in affecting others, like, okay, let's take a more, I, I don't do well with um, generalized statements because I'm a very visual uh, thinker and I have like an image of the most recent volunteering work that I've been doing uh, weekly is delivering food to uh, people who are at risk or cannot afford to buy food, right? So it's free food from um, different uh, other volunteering organizations that put it together and we just deliver it. Um, so here's the literal implication of strength. There was a lot of deadlifting of heavy bags. They staffed those bags with like, you know, frozen meat and like pears and whatever have you. So you just lift them and put them in your car, lift them, put them in your car, and then you brought, bring them to uh, the front doorsteps of that person and drive, drive around. Um, so that's direct implication, right? So you're strong, you're not at risk. Uh, you doing it with all the precautions and whatnot. You have a car, you're already kind of privileged, right? Car is not um, like a survival necessity. Yes, in some situations and some uh, urban environments it is, but I have a car, I'm a little privileged, even though I'm <laughs> not making a lot of money, <laughs> I know, right? Shocking. But using all of that, right, I can make somebody feel less vulnerable. I can make somebody feel less insecure about how they're going to go through the day, right? They can count on me showing up with the food at their, uh, at their doorstep. And that's just pure survival, right? We need food to function. Like, here you go. I am able to do that. Uh, beyond that, talking about like uh, international parkour events, can we have an impact? I think everybody who goes to, to those events has an impact on everybody else. I don't think it's like, oh, this, um, this coach came in and they had an impact on everyone else. But so did everyone else and everyone else. You know, like everybody in your group you train with, you all feed off of each other. You all bring something new and different. Even if you knew that person for a while, they are inserted into this newer environment and they're going through this with you. So you're still exchanging different experiences in the moment. So you're still affecting each other, whether you know it or not, again, subconscious, right? Like, even if you were like, oh, pfft, this is all I've been through this a million times. I don't think subconscious thinks that because you are a slightly different uh, person at every single point in time. You know, I think it's affected uh, by different things. And obviously all of this is just aim ho. Yes. In, in my honest, I'm, I'm with you. Right. Okay. I definitely, I definitely agree with the general thrust of what you're saying in terms of I like it's really interesting to me how those little interactions are off that you don't so there's this great body of psychological work which talks about how the subconscious um, primes that affect how you do things are significantly more important in your life than you realize um, things like putting a briefcase in a room make people think uh, about money more and thinking about mm -hmm. money more makes them uh, more likely to screw each other in a money like 
those little things had surprising effects and that idea of um, uh, going, everyone having an impact on everyone is definitely true. Um, maybe the thing that I kind of pull out of that is, but because we can't control any of that, it's just going to happen. Um, but one of the really interesting things is when we set our minds to doing specific things and seeing the outcomes that we chose, those moments are very interesting to me because because you can you can almost with that mindset where like everyone has an impact on everyone else, like you can almost begin to feel helpless and out of control. And so I find it interesting when you kind of take moments and say, actually, I will have an impact. I'll choose to have an impact, and I will do this. And look, you can see I did that thing, and it happened. Um, but maybe that's just my brain struggling. No, for control. no, I would agree with that. I would agree with that, and I think. Um... In my choosing of the volunteering opportunities, which there are millions and millions of, there is a website, one of many called volunteermatch.org. And if you go there, it's overwhelming. There are so many volunteering opportunities. Actually, Somerville, the town that I live in here in Massachusetts, when COVID struck, uh, I was like, time to shoot up and volunteer and help people and oh my god like everyone everyone if they're not at risk everyone is volunteering everyone is offering some self-help which is so heartwarming it's so great to see and i realized that it might be a unique town it's not everywhere like that but at the same time it's very overwhelming because if one person goes out there and being like well how can i put myself to use where there are so many different opportunities how do you choose Right, and some of them are a little bit more bureaucratic and they are a few steps removed from tangible gratification, which is something that I personally have trouble engaging in. So if I were to work for a volunteering company or nonprofit company that does great things, but let's say I'm a desk person doing uh, contract work, would not be able to do that. I need to be hands-on, I need to be in the field and to be interacting with the person that we are volunteering for. Um, but that's me. Again, everybody is different. So I think uh, circling back to what you were saying, uh, choosing the volunteering project, choosing how you are making yourself useful, I think it will come down to everyone, to every individual, depending on what they want out of it. That actually leads us quite nicely onto uh, my big juicy question that was at the end of that document. Um, which sort of compares and contrasts the different ways we probably both think about this, because um, I, when making decisions about what to do and how to make impact, I, my, my personal philosophy mostly revolves around this idea of leveraging assets. I want to have built a huge thing and I want to be able to use that thing to reach out and help other people. Um, and so often I feel like I'm helping more people by sitting um, behind a desk doing admin or by um, conducting interviews on Facebook Live than going out and doing something very simple and tangible like you're talking about where you actually go out and deliver food to people, something that's so like fundamental like that. And they're definitely different forms of gratification, as you said. Um, what's interesting about the, kind of the approaches we've taken with our life is that we're probably both at this point, you know, like good play. We're probably reasonably famous parkour coaches, and um, but we've taken such different ways about it. You're very skeptic. You travel around. You're all over the place. Um, 
like you've worked for multiple different organizations you've kind of you are you and you're doing all these crazy things and i'm sort of sat in one place leveraging things and building things and creating something and i don't think that there's any point in putting a value judgment on either one because they're both wonderful in their own different ways but what do you see as the you've obviously you know you've encountered more than one me in this world you've got Blake in your local town you've got all these other people who've sat and built things as someone who can step back from that what do you see as the, the pros and cons of those two different ideas and ways of living do you see it as a dichotomy like is it a case of you kind of have to either sit down or you get to travel or do you think there's some gray area in there well I don't think they are these two approaches are like you said they have both of them have value for different reasons and they appeal to different kind of people i think um having done a business before even though it was a much more flexible um model than having a parkour organization or parkour coaching organization in one physical place so i've done photography right mm -hmm. um having done it as a business as a sole thing I don't want to do it again. I burnt out. I had to put the camera down for a couple of years. Um, and I've been very careful since then uh, where I put my investments, <laughs> my soul investments and my uh, efforts into uh, and focusing on uh, having a sort of diversified portfolio of what I do in life. Uh, because this is how I function the best. Uh, I have read it somewhere on the great interwebs. You know how we, um, I think everyone is trying to do their best, right, in this life. I don't, I can't think that anybody is like, ah, I'm just, I'm just nah, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not going to do that in this life. I'm just set. <laughs> um, I think everybody is trying to do their best to the best of their abilities and um, what they have, the resources. But I also think it's really, and I've, I used to, you know, not every day, but every now and again, I check in on myself and be like, ah, did I really do my best today? Or did I kind of slack today because of this and that? And it really troubled me for a while. I was like, maybe I just, like, I'm, maybe I'm just not putting my best foot forward all the time. And then I read it and I was like, this. And what it said, do your best, but only if you can still be your best. Right? So to me, the way I took it, I understand there might be multiple interpretations of that. I could push myself more. Definitely could. I'm not living to my limit of physical or mental abilities by any means. But would I be healthy? mentally and physically, if I pushed myself all the time like that, probably not. So being my best means that I am healthy, I'm happy, I am growing still as an individual, and I am aware of what I as an individual need, right? It's also, it could be a tricky kind of edge of the knife situation where you're like, well, you know, I need three cars and a mansion in order to feel like a uh, like I'm happy and healthy. Like, do I need that? I personally don't. Maybe somebody does. But what it translates into for me, if I am still my authentic self, and by authentic, I mean 
am I loving? Am I kind? Am I compassionate? And am I happy and curious as myself? If there's anything else, if I'm angry, if I'm cranky, if I am irritated, if I am um, just ill, then I probably am not my best self. And if I'm not my best self, I probably shouldn't be pushing further to do my best. And in that situation, to do my best would be to try to uh, direct that effort inward rather than outward. I like that that level of thinking and I think about it, I think I probably think about it almost exactly the same way with different words, which is um, I kind of see my job is to improve things and my first job is to make myself as good as possible because I'm part of the world too. Yeah. And it's a bit that I feel like is, is often missing, especially from people who do a lot of voluntary work and people who do a lot of voluntary work trying to make up something, you meet them a lot of the time. Um, which is that actually your, your first job is to make the person closest to you as healthy as possible and as good as possible so they can have a bigger impact. And that's you. Yeah. And if you can't do that, bit, then stop trying to help everyone else. Calm down. Look at yourself. And of course, that's complicated because some of the answer to that one is ends you up in this place where you're like, oh, no, I can't help anyone else. But actually, like... This is one of the weirdest things, and I don't know how you feel about this, um, I find is that I like helping people. I like it when I have helped someone. It makes me feel good. So helping someone can be an inherently selfish act to some degree because I liked it. And when you kind of get over that and you can become more comfortable with it, you end up in a situation where hopefully you can be healthy and strong. You can do things. Why do you like and it? Because it makes me feel nice. Why does it make you feel nice? I'm going to play this kid with you. Why? Why? Um, I, I don't have to. I don't have to get too deep into it. I like it. It's nice. <laughs> Helping people is good. It's great. It is good. Um, it has been proven. I think there are multiple studies that show that volunteering work is really, really good for the mental well-being of anyone who takes uh, part in it. I will say that uh, a. I don't think that um, doing good for other people slash volunteering, slash altruism, is necessarily um, uh, prohibitive if you, if you have to do some personal work. I think those two can happen hand in hand. And sometimes the volunteering can, um, I'll give you an example again, just because I'm, I'm a very kind of specific image person, like I said. No, no, I'm, I'm following. Um, so back that time when I volunteered at the disaster relief uh, program in North Carolina after the hurricane hit and they were building things, helping people rebuild things. And it all, it's all run through volunteering efforts from all, all over the place. People come in, stay at the camp, go out and like do construction work. And there are all sorts of people from corporate people whose company pays them, which is awesome, while they are doing volunteer work. So great, why not? Uh, to... Uh, you know, there are, there are all kind of really interesting individuals, people dealing with loss of a loved one. So they're going through their grieving and loss process. People um, just having huge emotional luggage that they haven't even started uncovering yet. And you can see that they're using the volunteering just to make themselves feel good about whatever it is they're still kind of suppressing down. And on that note, I'm not saying like, oh, you haven't uncovered that... Uh, unpack that luggage yet you should stop volunteering and focus on yourself 
for them, I think volunteering right now is what they need. Maybe it's not the time for them yet to unpack it. You know, and yeah. maybe they will arrive at it later. Maybe they will never arrive at it. Who knows? But at the end of the day, if we look at it objectively, outside of it all, we have we know two facts. One, they have emotional luggage. Two, they have put some effort into rebuilding a community after a disaster. So when they leave, they still have their emotional luggage they came with, but they have made a an objectively positive impact on that community they were in. Right, so those two, the personal work and the uh, outward work are not mutually exclusive necessarily, and they can affect each other very positively. Yeah, I think um, that's pretty fair and a better breakdown than what I said. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's better necessarily. It's just, again, I, I find it difficult for myself to discuss very um, abstract concepts that I can't visualize well because I thinking images and yeah it's just an example that's good no i i am um, i think and talk in abstract far too often so it's probably good that you are dragging me down <laughs> no, i think it's great that's um, why i'm talking with you because it's like you were giving me this summaries I, I really wish somebody somebody was like typing this all up because i would like to go back and look at what you said because you summarized kind of like extracted from my verbal salad here you extracted like the thing that was the most important the jam here and you're like here it is and like oh and now this, this will all this will all remain online and you can watch it i was i was actually listening to the live feed i did yesterday today and going oh this is a really interesting discussion i missed all of this but if I can, <laughs> we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna sort of finish up and wrap up now. And so the kind of where I want to end all of these discussions um, is um, what what um, authors or books or podcasts or approaches or people do you really feel have inspired your way of thinking and what you're doing and you would recommend as other people to learn more about um, volunteering and helping others and um the world of that so um unfortunately can't recommend many books or people uh in terms of people mm, i think i mentioned it in one of the responses before i really do believe that everyone impacts everybody so i feel like i've absorbed from different people all those different things that formed into this kind of big inspiration pool i can't really pinpoint just one or two people honestly uh, in terms of volunteering and altruism, it's literally everyone. Somebody is doing this thing and get inspired, or somebody is doing that thing and get inspired. It's really awesome for different reasons, too. Okay. Um, in terms of books and podcasts, again, because of my um, multi-directionality in life and interests, um, I dedicate my reading time to things other than I do. So currently, my Nonfiction uh, reading is uh, Baby Universes and Black Holes, Black Holes and Baby Universes by Stephen Hawking. And then Adam Land uh, is the second one. And the fiction, I think you and I talked about it. Um, uh, yeah, I've got some books. Yeah, Three Body, Three Body Problem by Cixin Lu. That's the one I finished the latest, I think, and a huge fan of Ian and Banks, which I discovered way before coming to Scotland. And I discovered him first for myself as a fiction writer, not as a sci-fi writer. 
so you know that he's Aim. Yeah, Ian, Ian Banks is uh, mystery writer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, can't be too much of help in terms of uh, recommending resources for volunteering. Okay. Well, if we could then um, maybe a better question in terms of this, because what if someone's what if someone is watching this and is inspired and they want to begin volunteering, where do they start? Like um, website. They they would charities. start asking themselves first the question why. Why they've asked themselves <laughs> the question why they want to they they really want to save they really want to <laughs> save old people right We're, like websites or places. No, but seriously, seriously, the, the reason I'm saying that again is because that's going to determine uh, yeah. where you're going to go looking for. Okay, so Natalia's recommending a book for you all called Start With Why, <laughs> uh, which is a lovely right. uh, business so, management book. Okay, I want to, uh, you know, or not why even, but like what interests you the most? Like, what, where do you want to see the change? Like, I'm feeling really passionate about environmental nature. So one of my volunteering efforts is geared toward that, like conservation, like volunteering local conservation organizations is great. They're usually very receptive toward random people being like, hey, use me to plant trees or something. Um, so do you prefer smaller things like the local conversation, the, lo the local conversation, con the local conservation society rather than a larger organization like XR? Again, depends on the personality, right? Some people are like, I am more of a computer person and I feel like I can do more things from my desk globally. Or some people uh, maybe feel that they have more impact by being part of something bigger, like a bigger organization. Some people feel like, you know, um, dropping a note off at the neighbor's house being like, hey, hit me up if you need anything is the best thing for them. Like it really depends on everybody. So I think that maybe the first thing is to identify whether you want to be global or very local or both. I don't think those are mutually exclusive again. And then uh, which area, like helping elderly children or homeless. Helping or... elderly children. Elderly <laughs> children, you didn't know it's a thing? <laughs> I am an elderly child, <laughs> one of them. I think you're the other one too. <laughs> You have a beard to prove it to. Ah, I don't. It's, it's kind of a bit silly, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay. Well, should we wrap up there? Uh, sure. Anything else? Anything else? Like to finish off by saying or shout outs or. Uh, well, any... shout out to you. Thanks for hosting this hedge. No no thought I, uh... Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, oh. We've got some questions. Oh, we got some questions. Okay. Uh, we kind of answered that one from the t from Nina. She asked. Um, do we think we have to reach a certain level of strong in some way in order to be useful? But Absolutely then we answered not. that I one. Think... Yeah. Oh, that's actually a really good question. Here's, Here's uh... a good one. No, no. She, um, we did. We actually have already answered that in the, the podcast. We talked about that. But here's one that we didn't. Uh, what would you suggest to do to build up this feeling of usefulness? Where does one start? So like I start, I don't uh, like I said, I don't think that I can offer universal advice that will work for everyone. I can only say what worked for me. And for me, what worked was realization that I can't affect absolutely everyone and everything, nor is it needed because everyone is on its own on their own uh, journey. Um, but what I can do, I can affect at least 
one life, and even I had positive, positively affected one life, that's enough. You don't need to set records. You don't need to uh, change a political regime in a whole country or prevent an, a pandemic or be the hero. Oh, that's another thing. Can I say something that I thought was really important? I completely forgot to mention it. And it might be very pertinent to capitalistic societies. Um, I think a lot of Western countries are so set on an idea of a hero that the role of the community is often overlooked and underappreciated. If we look at the, you know, Hollywood movies or high ticket movies, it's always one single person, maybe two, whatever, that have superpowers, that are superheroes, and then the rest of the world relies on that one person. So it's the power of one individual who imparted it with all these uh, powers that are otherwise inaccessible to everyone else. But what we see here, actually, as the pandemic develops, is the power of the community instead of one single hero. Right, and that's that goes back to the interconnectedness and how we're all we're all in this together. And in by this, I don't mean just the COVID pandemic. Yeah, no, I think I would. Um, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, I know the guy who asked this question, so I find it quite interesting because um, uh, he's made a huge number of really positive changes in his life recently. He's doing really, really well, and he wants to help people and so I'm kind of asking myself well the first step for me for that is the realization that if you think of yourself as having to help others then you've got to expand your definition of others to include yourself first and then once you've done that you can begin having a conversation about the fact that improving yourself is amazing and it's a great first step and it also serves as a really good test ground because um, you can test stuff out on yourself yeah. and you can make mistakes in your own life and you can control your own life in a way you can't control other people's lives and then you can begin providing suggestions providing help with others so yeah. like if you know that um it really helps uh when uh you bring food to someone and then they really enjoy it and maybe um or someone brings food to you and you know that's a really enjoyable experience you know that bringing food to other people is really important and you can do that and that's your first step to being more useful, which is just to start providing those gestures to start doing things to make yourself feel good, both for yourself and for others. I agree 100% with that. And especially with that first sentiment that you expressed, I think that was in that very last question in the document you sent to me about um, coaching and teaching, how that impacted, I think, volunteerism or something like that, uh, that we haven't talked about. And I think it's still important because it leads to a larger topic, which I think is the best we don't impart on right now. Um, but um, I do think that coaching slash teaching slash instructing, and I find this tendency with the majority of instructors and coaches, uh, not just in parkour, in general, climbing, training, whatever. I find that unfortunately, with all the good things, uh, it puts people onto this higher platform. You know what I mean? Like if you're a coach, an instructor or a teacher, you are inherently in the view of the students, that's the others, um, are viewed as higher entity. 
in whatever respect superior, right? And it has been a journey in and of itself for me to try to break out of that mold and A, not put myself into that pedestal and be like, oh, I'm an instructor, I'm gonna tell you how to do. And yes, <laughs> technically mm -hmm. speaking, you do have some knowledge that you are willing to share that people may or may not have at the moment, but at the same time, that doesn't make you any, or me, any um, better or, you know, more powerful than other people. Like I, that's, that's the dynamic that I really dislike in uh, coaching and in uh, volunteering too. Like, I am this higher entity. I am going to make you better. This is something that I think probably needs a little bit of changing and a little bit more of, of equaling the platforms because I don't think we can truly impact each other in a positive way if we keep the power dynamic on. I think it's really interesting because one of the things you're obviously referencing here is the the human potential for storytelling and the that concept that um, the story we tell ourselves about our communities impacts our communities and it's really interesting because it's something that that we access um, were really really aware of very very early on in this conversation that Garth and I have had multiple times which is that the absolute worst thing that could happen for access parkour as an organization is that it becomes the hedge show it becomes about this this great leader who is struggling to change the world because it's not good for people to think in those terms so it's like when we think about and design the community and we think about how we go about improving people's lives we're really aware that we have to disperse that feeling of power and that story of power and so that it doesn't look like there's anyone who's particularly um the best because that way people feel part of community they don't feel like they're following one great leader instead they feel like they're a lot more in control of themselves so if you remove those and you see it in a lot of other major parkour organizations though you put certain people on pedestals and everything's about them and i think it's a mistake because you end up with that story and with that story you you lose a little bit of the ability for community to really feel like they're in control. Mm -hmm. I 